With the first vaccines making their way to Indiana, we're hearing from state and federal officials on the best way to distribute the vaccine. This week, we'll talk with Congressman Larry Bouchon, Andre Carson, and Jim Banks, plus a final farewell from Representative Susan Brooks, and the latest on the presidential election, with the Electoral College set to make things official tomorrow, even as Indiana's current attorney general and next attorney general weigh in on the last-minute legal wranglings. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. More than a month after the presidential election, tomorrow Joe Biden's win becomes official as presidential electors meet in state houses across the country, including here in Indiana. We'll talk about that with our panel. Plus, Congress kicking the can down the road at least a few more days, facing a deadline to avoid a government shutdown as lawmakers continue to negotiate another coronavirus relief bill. All this on another momentous week with vaccines now making their way across the country here in Indiana. We continue to see mounting case numbers numbers and continued rapid spread of the virus. The state of Indiana, when you, when you talk about counties being red, the state of Indiana is on fire. The steps being announced today are absolutely necessary as the pandemic tightens its grip on our state. I certainly share your belief that we are in a place that none of us want to be. And this morning, we start with the coronavirus crisis. Indiana now in the first stages of its vaccine distribution plan for health care workers and others on the front lines, while we continue to see rapidly increased spread. Zach Myers has more. After weeks of warnings from state and federal health officials, it is exactly what they forewarned was going to happen. Indiana saw the highest per capita COVID-19 infection rate in the nation for the week after Thanksgiving a daily average of 1,025 cases per 1 million people, according to the COVID tracking project. No, I'm not surprised. Um, people are, they're, they're still out and about, hoping that if they, you know, continue to live their life, this too shall pass, and it's going to take some time. We actually were seeing that trend before the holiday. We were kind of creeping up in the rankings, if you will, not that this is really a competition that we want to win. Some local health officials believe the high numbers are the result of pandemic fatigue. What's happening is I think some people have let their guard down, not only during Thanksgiving, but even prior to that. We have to continue to social distance. We have to continue to wear masks. We have to continue to practice safe hygiene. I know it stinks. It does. Everybody's tired of hearing it. The Regan Street Institute says Indiana hasn't seen the height of the post Thanksgiving surge yet, and the state could be on pace to see 7,000 deaths by the new year. We would anticipate seeing increasing numbers of cases in the next couple of weeks, along with more hospitalizations and frankly, more deaths. Meanwhile, several Indiana counties are watching their positivity rates continue to climb. Reporting in Johnson County, Zach Myers, Fox 59 News. All right, Zach, thanks. This week we also heard news that Indiana's Speaker of the House, Todd Houston, has tested positive for the virus. He's home recovering, dealing with mild symptoms. This as Governor Eric Holcomb adds new restrictions as state officials begin the process of distributing that first shipment of the coronavirus vaccine. Kayla Sullivan has more. 
By the end of next week, 50 Indiana hospitals will distribute the initial doses of the COVID-19 vaccine. IU Health Methodist will be one of the first. We're ready to go. So as soon as that vaccine hits the door, we will begin administrating. So it's exciting news. IU Health now has an education campaign for those who will be first in line to get the vaccine, including hospital workers and those in long-term care facilities. What the vaccine is, how it works, how this mRNA technology works and even really discuss the history of vaccines. Indiana is expecting to get more than 55,000 doses of the COVID-19 vaccine next week. I'd like to have a lot more, but, um, but I understand we're dealing with a set volume or a set approved production, and, and that's going to be shipped out to all over the country. Holcomb emphasized more shipments are expected in the following weeks. We would need 400,000 doses just to vaccinate Indiana's health care population. Though the pace for this vaccine is historic, it's not the first mass vaccination campaign. President Kennedy did sign into order another mass vaccination campaign related to polio. I'm not having to deal with the debilitating effects of polio or smallpox today because there was a great vaccine available to me. That's the goal for this COVID-19 vaccine. We do want the public to know that um, those in the healthcare are really reading this, reviewing this. We're really encouraged by the safety and efficacy data that this vaccine is showing. Indiana leaders are asking for your patience. It's unknown when the general public will get vaccinated, but the state says it hopes everyone will have the opportunity by next summer. From the Indiana State House, I'm Kayla Sullivan. And as for the state's rising case numbers, Democratic Party Chair John Zoni responding to the governor's comments that our state is, quote, on fire. He said it appears Governor Holcomb finally has gotten his act together, but to use his own analogy, Zoni says Holcomb is bringing a bucket of water to a house fire. He says Indiana is on the verge of becoming the hotspot in the country. All this as lawmakers in Washington discuss more funding for states to distribute the vaccine. This week we heard from Indiana Congressman Andre Carson and Congressman Larry Bouchon, who both spoke with our Washington correspondent Rashad Hudson. The COVID-19 framework introduced by a bipartisan group of lawmakers last week includes 16 billion for state vaccine programs. The plan is supported by Indiana Congressman Larry Bouchon. We want to make sure everybody has access to the vaccine, regardless of your zip code. Aside from being a member of Congress, Bouchon is a doctor and is putting his faith in the vaccine. It'll be safe, number one. That's the key. And number two, effective, because we've had the studies to show that that's the case. Even without the additional money, Bouchon says his state is already in good shape. We had a $2 billion surplus going into the, uh, going into the pandemic. While states short on funds are holding out hope for Congress to act. I mean, we can't sit on these monies to buffer the, 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 the war chest or coffers of the states. Indiana Democrat Andre Carson says he understands many states are facing budget deficits because of the pandemic, but doesn't want states to use CARES Act money to balance the budget. Because the representatives who voted on this important legislation did so at the urging of the American people. Vaccine equity. Or is there a concern that certain communities, communities you represent, underserved sure. communities, is there a concern that they may not have access to the vaccine? No, that's so true. I think that, um, you know, when you talk about vaccinations, uh, this, this pandemic, uh, we've seen unprecedented levels of infection, hospitalizations and deaths, particularly in 
the African-American community and Latino community, uh, senior communities. Uh, as our public health system tries to handle this surge, I think we all have to do our part. It means staying at home, washing our hands, wearing masks, uh, practicing social distancing, um, uh, and really take the pressure off of an already stretched thinly hospital system and, and health network. Uh, but there are disparities to your point that have to be addressed. And hopefully uh, Republicans will be bold in addressing these issues because they're impacting their own constituents. Congressman Andre Carson there with Washington correspondent Rashad Hudson. This week, our D.C. Bureau also spoke with Congressman Jim Banks about the ongoing negotiations for another coronavirus relief bill and a spending bill with the deadline to fund the federal government now pushed down the road another week. The American people are sick and tired of kicking the can down the road when it comes to these spending deals. And uh, here we are uh, right on the eve of the, the Christmas holiday, the end of a Congress, and it, it's just more of the same what the American people have become accustomed to. So as uh, the leader of the House Conservatives and Republican Study Committee, uh, we're going to be fighting against massive uh, spending deals and, and CRs that, that continue to kick the can down the road. And we've, we'll be fighting for fiscal responsibility like we always have when it comes to this deal and deals in the future. But it's disappointing for me and, and uh, disheartening to see us not, not take the time needed and necessary to pass a full spending deal that aligns with the priorities of this country and, and done so in a financially, fiscally responsible way. That's just not going to happen here this week. Extending the, the Paycheck Protection Program, the, the PPP, uh, is, the, is the common sense and, and uh, most obvious thing that we can do. There are billions of dollars that are sitting parked and already appropriated here in Washington, D.C. that aren't being used to support uh, local businesses at home. So that's the first thing that we should do, and I hope that uh, any deal that, that comes up here in the, the next few days or before the end of this Congress will include extending PPP, but also liability protections for uh, businesses and, and uh, schools is at the top of my list, and more support for our schools. I mean, we should be doing everything that we can to keep our schools open, our kids in the classroom, and any COVID relief uh, bill that we pass in the days to come, I hope uh, provides a great deal of support for our schools. All right, Congressman Banks also in the news this week for proposing a, a ban on stylized or messaged masks on the floor of Congress, something that he faced some pushback for uh, as well. Coming up next this Sunday in Focus, Indiana's current attorney general and next attorney general weighing in on the president's last-ditch legal wranglings. We'll have the latest, and we'll talk with our panel about former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg and what his role could be when the Biden administration takes office. Welcome back. It's time to bring in our panel, Robin Winston, Mike Murphy, Laura Wilson, Adam Wren. Let's start with former State Party Chair Robin Winston. Certainly, there's been good news on the vaccines, promising news. But in the meantime here this week, Governor Holcomb said the state is, quote, on fire with coronavirus, while Democrats said the governor was only bringing a bucket of water to fight that fire. Robin, will we see more action here in the coming weeks? Oh, I think so. I think November 3rd freed up Eric Holcomb to be a governor addressing this issue like he should. He doesn't have the constraints of Donald Trump or Mike Pence calling him to say you can't be um, inconsistent with what we're doing. Uh, Governor Holcomb has already laid out his measure. Look, his opponent ran on a, on a I don't want a mask mandate and got 12 percent of the vote and still came nowhere close. Now, the governor will do the right thing. I, I, he's already leading by that. And by the fact that he said the state is on fire, he finally drew a line in the sand and said we have to do something about this right now. 
Let's turn to former GOP lawmaker Mike Murphy. Mike, in the meantime, Congress still negotiating this next relief bill. A lot of talk about whether they'll be including more funding for state and local governments, something that state and local officials say they desperately need. Absolutely. First, I want to draw a contrast between Robin Winston, the former state chairman, and the current Democratic state chairman. Robin is uh, actually a bipartisan statesman in this case. And we have the current Democratic state chairman who's mocking our governor, who's dealing with the biggest public health crisis in Indiana history. Um, it's disappointing that the current Democratic state chairman is not more bipartisan. Um, but when it comes to state and local government getting uh, aid, as Jim Banks has said, there's no promise. And that, once again, is a, a symptom, a, a prime symptom of the lack of functionality, the dysfunctionality of our American Congress. And I can't blame just the Democrats. Um, it's a bipartisan problem that there's really no end in sight for. We'll see what happens uh, here in the coming days. Mayor Hogshead also saying that funding uh, is desperately needed. Laura, all of this, uh, the, the vaccines, the intensifying pandemic, all of it happening, of course, as we prepare for a new administration taking office in Washington about a month from now. Uh, yeah, exactly. And um, we still don't know exactly what's going to happen with the Senate. Uh, those are the two seats in Georgia in terms of those special election. It, it looks probable that we will still have divided government at the national level. And so to, to Mike's point, it, obviously being able to work across the aisle, be, being able to come together, uh, all these policies have seemed for some reason to be very divisive. And, and I get in the details, yes, they are, but uh, it shouldn't be. Right? We're talking about lives, we're talking about medicine, we're talking about science. These really don't need to be as polarized as, as some people are making them. And, and uh, this should be something that, as far as coming together for a compromise, it should be really easy. Though, of course, as we're switching administrations, it makes it just a little bit more complicated. Uh, yet another wrench that 2020 throws into the plans. Yeah, and Adam, speaking of that transition, it's something many Republicans have been slow to acknowledge, though perhaps that may change with the Electoral College convening tomorrow here in Indiana. We saw Senator Braun on national TV last weekend making some of these claims. Now Attorney General Curtis Hill and AG-elect Todd Rokita throwing their support behind some of these long-shot legal efforts to go to the Supreme Court to possibly try and overturn results in some key states. Yeah, Dan, it's really irresponsible uh, to have people like Attorney General-elect Todd Rakita meeting with the president this week to try to overturn the results of the election. Uh, this really sort of just amounts to political ambulance chasing. You have people like Jeb Bush, uh, Senator Ben Sass, uh, and other conservative, thoughtful Republicans who are saying that this case really holds no legal merit. And they're not really uh, sure, as Senator John Cornyn said, what the legal thinking or strategy is here. Uh, yet uh, Attorney General-elect Todd Rakita is really sort of embarrassing the state by uh, being a part of this. Uh, this is much more about him looking to run for governor in 2024, uh, as well as Mike Braun, I'm told by Republicans, than it is about you know serious judicial or legal maneuvering. Mike, what are your thoughts on how some of your fellow Republicans have handled this situation? And does some of that change tomorrow once the Electoral College makes it official? Well, certainly it should. I mean, gosh, I hope so. Um, you know, everybody has to understand, Republicans, Democrats, the election's over, let's move on. For Republicans, I'd say, let's be searching now for a true conservative who represents our value and actually has some personal character to run for president in 2024. They're out there, Mike Pence, Rick Scott, DeSantis, um, 
Rubio, uh, Haley. There's a lot of true conservatives with personal character who can lead the Republican Party. As far as, you know, the strategy, there is no legal strategy. The, the legal team is embarrassing. What they're doing is they're raising money. They've raised over $300 million at the RNC since November 3rd. This is stretch it out, use this issue to raise money. Robin, how, how do you see all of this? Well, first off, it's amazing. Donald Trump has never gotten a majority of the American people to vote for him either time he ran for president. He didn't in 16, and he sure didn't in, in 20. So now all of a sudden we're questioning the Electoral College. We didn't question it four years ago. It's amazing, though, Dan, that we never questioned the vote tallies in any states that he won, only states that he lost. So hopefully the Supreme Court will ignore him like they did the other day, basically, and we'll move our, our nation forward. Adam, meantime, the president-elect putting together his cabinet, some Hoosiers may have been wondering, what about former Mayor Pete Buttigieg? He didn't get the job at the U.N. that he may have wanted. Now some reports he may be the next U.S. ambassador to China or perhaps some other roles in the mix as well. That's right. There's still a number of cabinet positions available, uh, commerce uh, and EPA among possible uh, picks that he could be selected for. Uh, I'm told by sources close to Buttigieg that the mention of the, the China ambassadorship, uh, the reporting there by Axios a little out over their own skis, uh, while an ambassadorship uh, to NATO, for example, could be in the offing. The China was a, a bit too specific there to be uh, accurate at the time. But certainly, if he wants a, a position in the administration, um, it looks like, you know, he could he could be offered something like, along those lines, uh, an ambassadorship to NATO, perhaps uh, some kind of czar position where he uh, is focused on economic recovery during the pandemic. Uh, but, you know, again, he doesn't have to take a position in the administration. Uh, there are many other things he could do as a, a podcaster, New York Times bestselling author, uh, someone who's hosted a late night show already. So he doesn't necessarily have to go into the administration uh, this early in the, in the, in the uh, era of Biden. Uh, Laura, what would a role uh, in the administration mean for, for Mayor Pete's future? And more broadly, what would it mean for Indiana to, again, have a number of Hoosiers in prominent roles in this new administration? Of course, the incoming chief of staff, Ron Klain, also a Hoosier from right here in Indianapolis. Sure. Well, as Adam said, he wouldn't necessarily have to be involved uh, this early in the Biden administration. Doesn't mean another opportunity wouldn't come up in the future. Uh, but the fact that his name is being considered, that we hear uh, talk about NATO, perhaps China, whatever it might be, I think does give you a good sign that he will have some sort of leadership role or at least an invitation to it um, within the administration. I think if you look longer term, it's a conversation we have, it feels almost annually at this point, and it's an exciting one, which is the legacy of Hoosier leadership. We see leaders come from our state being selected, whether they're elected, appointed, whatever it might be, um, but to serve at the federal level, to serve the country as a whole. And Buttigieg would certainly be carrying on that legacy of leadership that we've definitely seen in the last couple of years in our politics. Robin, your thoughts on how the cabinet uh, is coming together here? There has been some discord among, uh, among some Democrats. Democrats, some progressives, uh, some minority groups uh, not pleased with some of this election so far. What do you see? Still early. I mean, you know, look, we are continuing to make a cabinet that looks like America. Um, General Austin will be outstanding. Just changed the number of year requirement that you have to be separated. And I think we'll be able to get him through there. As far as Pete, I sent him an email the other day and said, IU presidency is open. What a sterling role model that would be for young people to see a person of their somewhat generation who understands student debt but as Oxford educated, leading one of our institutions. We've done it at Purdue with uh, former Politico, 
We've done it at Ivy Tech. No reason we couldn't do it at IU. We'll see what happens. I, when we started talking IU there, I thought we were going to be talking about the Big Ten Championship. Perhaps another great debate this week, no doubt. All right, we'll see the panel again for winners and losers. Coming up next this Sunday in Focus, Congresswoman Susan Brooks's final farewell on the floor of the House of Representatives. We'll show it to you next. The city of Indianapolis announcing this week it will become an autism certified city. Mayor Joe Hogsett says it's about making Indy safer for anyone on the autism spectrum. That'll include new training for Indigo bus drivers. They'll learn how to communicate with riders on the spectrum. The Indy Chamber will make sure the same thing is happening in the workforce as well. This past week, Congresswoman Susan Brooks made her farewell address on the floor of the House after serving the 5th Congressional District of Indiana for eight years. Yes, the job is difficult, but sometimes this job is just fun. Whether it's calling a brilliant young Hoosier to tell them they've received an appointment to attend a military academy, whether we've, we've traveled the district, learned how puzzles are made at a factory in Tipton, we've joined Indiana Wesleyan University students in Marion to celebrate three national sports titles and their 100th anniversary. At Launch Fishers and Z-Works in Zionsville, we saw the latest in cutting-edge technology and met entrepreneurs on the cusp of the next great idea. And it Brooks be will be replaced by former state senator Victoria Sparts, who takes office in January. All right, stick around. We'll be right back after this. Colts play the Raiders today in Las Vegas. Kickoff just after 4 o'clock. We'll get you ready for the game in the Colts Blue Zone at 11.30 right after Face the Nation. Fox 59 is Vikings Bucks, followed by the Packers and Lions. Right now, time to wrap things up with this week's winners and losers. Robin, I'll start with you. Uh, loser, President Donald Trump, who takes Rudy Giuliani's calls before he takes Anthony Fauci's. Winner, Joe Biden, who appointed Anthony Fauci to stay in his administration. Mike? One clear winner, the much-aligned American pharmaceutical industry. We like to make fun of them. We like to rip them for high prices, but they're still a great force for good in this world. Uh, and Laura, you're next. That was actually going to be my winner as well. Everyone involved in terms of pharmacy to healthcare working to help us with the COVID vaccine. Uh, my loser is anyone who tries to undermine American democracy. It's not good for us right now, and it certainly won't be good from us from a historical perspective. Adam, you get the last word. A loser, agree with Laura, uh, Todd Rokita, and Mike Braun for undermining American democracy. And my winner is Susan Brooks for conducting herself honorably uh, during her eight-year career in con Congress. All right, that'll wrap things up this week. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus.